0: Welcome to Gondrepreneur, helping Gondrepreneurs grow and succeed in every sector of the cannabis industry. Gondrepreneur will introduce you to the cannabis pioneers who are paving the way for future generations. Learn about the shifting landscape of the market directly from the experts and get to know some of the leading minds in the industry as they tell their story of struggles and success. Now, CannabisRadio.com presents Gondrepreneur.com. Hi
1: there, and welcome to the gondrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Los. The entrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly to entrepreneurs, cannabis growers, product developers, and cannabis medicine researchers, all focused on making the most of cannabis normalization. As your host, I do my best to bring you original cannabis industry ideas that will ignite your own entrepreneurial spark and give you actionable information to improve your business strategy and improve your health and the health of cannabis patients everywhere. Today, my guest is David Raines. David Raines is founder of the Marijuana Business Association, a national association which provides business intelligence, professional networking, and commercial opportunity for participants in the legal cannabis industry. David also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook, MJNewsNetwork.com on the web, and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. David has been a senior executive at Rolling Stone, SPIN, iVillage, Corbis, Time Warner, and American Online. Welcome, David. Welcome, Shango. Thank you for having me. Glad you could make it. So, you know, cannabis producers have historically worked alone in the dark, and you're taking on the idea of bringing them together into an association. What advantages can coming together in a business association offer for these folks?
2: Well, you know, as our old friend Hillary Clinton said, it does take a village. And in any new industry, the industry has needs to address in terms of common standards and viability technology. But certainly within legal cannabis, where we have a very nascent, compliant level, the notion that any one sole provider could do it alone Uh, Is pretty daunting. Uh, The reality is that you need to be part of an industry association so that you can, one, get the business information and intelligence you need to make those decisions, two, to build the community, to get to know who the players are within your local space. And because this has been subterranean, even though you may be in close proximity, you might not know some valuable associates in your own hometown. And three, you're always looking for opportunity, which is ever-changing and dynamic. So so
1: are you finding that the people who are drawn to being involved in association are more... I don't know, What I guess I'll say new school recreational producers where they have come from another industry that is more familiar with doing associations versus, you know, Prohibition era or heritage growers who are more practiced at being in the dark and, and working alone to do things. You know,
2: do, do you find that it's more one than the other? Interesting question. The reality is that... I believe many of those cottage industry or heritage growers had straight jobs as well, and so they were familiar with being part of a union or participating in the Boy Scouts or in in the farmer, Farmers Cooperative. And indeed, many medical patients and providers have organized along collective lines. So the notion of a collective or social approach to building industry or or business needs is nothing new for those of us in the culture. Certainly those folks who are in more established industries have the privilege, every major American, indeed every major industry, has not only one but multiple industry associations to address those various concerns. Some are focused on lobbying, some are focused on technology, some are focused on cultural or business issues. Some are local or regional. And and so I I believe the notion of collective uh, intelligence and, 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 and associative value is something that's pretty inherent in all of us.
1: You know, I think that's a really interesting point that you make. That that you know, even though these people may self-identify as a prohibition era or heritage grower or whatever artisan grower, that um, that most of these folks had day jobs. That's right. And so the, the you know most of the folks were not full time growers, and so they both identify as the grower, but also have the work experience of somebody who's who's going to work. That's an okay. interesting point. Yeah. So, so, so let's talk a little bit about competition because, you know, a lot of growers compete on lots of different levels for, for the highest THC to get the particular, you know, clone cut first, uh, you know, cannabis cups for sure. So, so how does that kind of play out at the association level when where you're bringing these people together for a common goal, but they are, you know, natural
2: competitors? Great question. I like to call the term coopetition. And again, I think it's something that's not unique to cannabis. It's pretty common in any emerging marketplace. And indeed, as a marketing discipline, we're always taught that first you have to sell the industry and then your place within the industry. So, for participants in the legal cannabis industry, whether that's medical or commercial or soon industrial hemp, all of them are facing not only legal challenges. And as I suggested earlier, one cannot as an individual impact the legislative or lawmaking practice. But if we organize along uh, interest groups, if we develop cooperative organizations, if we stand together and represent, the economic might of an emerging industry then politicians and policymakers and business leaders and the whole world pays attention to us. So I think both from from the legal standpoint, but then again, in terms of competition, we're in such a young industry that if you're a grower or a processor or a dispenser or retailer or even a service provider, what you're vending, the products and services that today you vend, are not going to be the same products and services that you vend tomorrow. Technology is changing. Consumer demand is manifesting. Many new brands and products are coming onto the marketplace. So it's less about building market share or your own piece of the pie and more about the fight to uh, what I call the normalization of the industry being accepted on Main Street, so that we can get bank accounts, so that we can get real estate, so that we can get the kinds of financial and logistical support for our businesses. And that's a social hurdle as, mo- as much as it is a legal or technological. And social hurdles must be addressed collectively.
1: Well it sounds like you know the first step is just surviving and you're right you know before people are necessarily you know even going to have the energy to compete with each other like oh my gosh can can we work together to just be allowed to use the banks
2: That's right and part of that is how do we address the regulators how can we get the the in here in Washington the liquor control board Uh, liquor cannabis board now, or how can we get the Department of Financial Institutions or how do we get the Washington Bankers Association to sit down with us to talk about what best policies, uh, how to interpret the Cole memo, how to interpret uh, federal guidelines or FinCEN restraints, and to operationalize those so that it makes sense in Vancouver, in Bellingham, in Portland, in uh, Denver, right? Each marketplace has its own sensibilities, its own players And only collectively, only together, can we get those folks to sit down and work through that last mile of of legislation, of regulation, of operational detail.
1: I can imagine that some of the, the growers who have been working in the shadows to protect themselves during Prohibition days, you know, yeah, some of them might not be used to you know, sharing and cooperating as much. But the more I heard you explain your answer, I realized that, you know, there's probably a lot of them. They're just like thrilled to have anybody else to play with in the same sandbox. And they're actually really excited about like associating with others and coming together.
2: It's so true. And in the way that we work at the marijuana business association, my trade association is that we structure involvement based upon your level of expertise and where you are in that food chain. So if you're a new business, you come in as a business member, you're there to learn, you're there to network, you're there to participate in the building process. If you're a corporate or a national sponsor, you're a thought leader. And so those folks are not uh, marketing their products and services as much as they are defining best practices and establishing protocols for a scalable, sustainable, viable industry. One of the exciting things about uh, legal cannabis is that because this was a voter initiative driven revolution, there are no existing policies in place. So we get the chance to build the industry intentionally. We get to say, hey, let's pay our men and women fair equal wage. Hey, let's have proper benefits and and worker rights. Hey, let's address things like economic sustainability, environmental sustainability, energy consumption, and being good citizens so that together we proactively create an industry that will be more readily accepted as prohibition is unraveled and the uh, industry goes coast to coast.
1: Well, right on. Those are some very clear advantages for us to be able to kind of reinvent the wheel and start from scratch. Well, we're going to take a short break here and be right back. You're listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast.
0: After a short message from the sponsors who made this show possible, Gontrepreneur will return.
3: with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at Development.com. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The State of Cannabis.
2: What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate.
1: <laughs> Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case.
3: <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com.
0: We're back to help gondrepreneurs grow. You're listening to Gondrepreneur, only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: Welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Lose, and this week we are speaking with David Rhines of the Marijuana Business Association. So, David, before the break, we were talking about uh, the, the the advantages and challenges of bringing together our cannabis community to, to work together. Uh, one of the things that you're doing that not a lot of folks are doing is working at the national level. You know, we've got you know, regional organizations that are fo- focused more on, on local needs, but you're really you're doing a lot of time on an airplane, uh, going to these different parts of the country, pulling people together, and uh, and kind of sharing our, our shared memory so that so that everybody can get on the same page. What cultural differences have you seen when comparing these different regions? You know, say between like Washington and Colorado and Florida.
2: Thank you. Yeah, there are quite a few differences. The exciting part about legalization and the way that it's unraveled is that it is a local phenomenon. You're talking about state uh, geographies, even within those states, even within Washington state, the difference between Western Washington, Seattle, Metro, downtown, indoor grows kind of cosmopolitan and progressive with Eastern Washington, Spokane, American great city, outdoor grows, conservative values right on the border of Idaho is distinct. And now when you start overlaying things like Colorado versus Washington versus Oregon versus New York or Florida, cultural sensibilities are extreme. I believe on the West Coast, the general, uh, and these are obviously oversimplifications, but the general culture is much more progressive and permissive. So the marijuana industry, obviously medical marijuana started in California in 96, Washington followed with its legislation in 98. So you have several decades of experience in a culturalization here on the West Coast. That makes it less of a social hurdle to overcome. And indeed, I think pot smoking in general is more permissive in Seattle than it is in Denver, for example. In Denver, the culture of the cannabis community, again, these are oversimplifications, but is less activist, less cultural and more investor and entrepreneurially driven. That's interesting
1: because so, so what you're what you're you know, if we get down to brass tacks, what you're kind of describing is in Seattle, if you're outside of an event or a club or or anything, you know, people are feel pretty free to go, like go outside and go ahead and smoke a joint on the street, knowing that they're probably not going to get in trouble, even though it's actually against the law. And and so, are you saying that that folks inside the the club or whatever event would be less likely to come out on the street in Colorado?
2: Absolutely, yeah. And in fact, interesting as a an example of that here in Seattle, we did have one o- over exuberant cop who early on issued a number of citations for public consumption of marijuana, even though it's only a a misdemeanor infraction. And he wrote on those tickets the name of the city attorney, Pete Holmes, and made the newspapers because Pete Holmes and the the police department suspended the cop temporarily and overturned those, indicating to everyone that public consumption of marijuana or marijuana use was the lowest priority on the force. In Colorado, conversely, since legalization, they have written tens of thousands of infractions at significant fines. So they are actively looking for people who are smoking pot on the street, tourists who buy, and targeting them for ticketing. So culturally, not nearly, and you certainly do not have their city attorney is not the first one in line at the Seattle or at his pot store buying weed as Pete Holmes (laughs) did at Cannabis City. So culturally, night and day
1: so so let's compare a different dynamic instead of comparing washington and colorado let's compare you know a legalized state to a not legalized state I and mean, those of us who have had the opportunity to do you know medical marijuana for more than a decade and recreational for a year or more the the amount of intellectual property know-how and just cultural comfort with normalization is is you know, astounding in yeah. legalized states compared to states where it's not legal yet. That's right. so, so as far as like skill sets where, you know, folks knowing how to do extraction, folks know, knowing how to discuss CBD, things like that, what are you seeing between the states that are fully legalized versus the states that you go to where they're just trying to get their legislation passed?
2: That's right. Well, you know, and one could argue that we're nowhere are we fully legalized. The reality is that we're still battling vestiges of prohibition on the state level and full enforcement of prohibition on the federal level, even in Washington, even in Colorado. True. And certainly so there is no real normalization. And I, I believe that the biggest victim of prohibition from a business point of view is the lack of information is the constraint on intellectual property and so we're just at the beginning of sharing information about things as simple as the usages of hemp so hemp obviously the country was founded on hemp we have many 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 more years growing hemp in this country than we do not growing hemp and yet, because the last uh, 50 years we've not been able to grow it, there is no institutional knowledge in terms of, or no innovation in terms of how do you grow hemp, the cultiv- the cultivation and the science of it. So much of what we know anecdotally or what we may have discovered in the medical marijuana circles is now just being validated through traditional science. And in fact, that's one of the last crutches of the prohibitionist is that more science and research is needed. So I believe that the level of information is scant everywhere even in places like the West Coast, where it has been more than a decade of folks commercially cultivating and growing the plant, only now with the first crack of of legalization can we really drill down. And the innovation that we're seeing in things like solventless extracts or uh, growing technologies or energy efficiencies are just now coming out in a major way as money and legitimacy have allowed you know traditional business people and scientists to now get involved.
1: Are you seeing when you go to these states that are still working to get their legalization legislation passed? Starting to see folks from other states where it's already legal starting to. For example, I had some friends here who, when our our fifty fifty two passed, which folded in medical into our recreational system, they just pulled up stakes and they moved to Michigan because they yeah. said, "You know what? Michigan's going to be coming online soon, and the intellectual property in my head is worth so much more in Michigan than it is in Washington now." That's and right. so they're moving. So, so are you seeing folks doing that?
2: I'm seeing that all over. Hotspots are places where. Uh, like Illinois, where it was a hundred thousand dollars for your application, or New York, where it was two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, or Nevada, where it was very expensive as well, where big moneyed interests have purchased or or acquired the licensing, but there is no expertise on the East Coast. The early New Jersey dispensaries had trouble with their crops because they did not have the level of grow expertise that we enjoy here on the west coast so indeed you're seeing your experience your intellectual property particularly on these first couple of years as those industries are coming online are very very uh, desirable and you don't have to move you reference washington and the migration of medical into recreational or, or commercial as i like to call it Many of those medical participants are not necessarily getting a license, but just going to work with companies who will service both of those markets, and their experience and their know-how is extremely valuable.
1: Right on. Well, thanks, David. We're going to take another short break and be right back. You are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast.
0: After a short message from the sponsors who made this show possible, Gondrepreneur will return
3: most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com.
0: We're back to help entrepreneurs grow. You're listening to Entrepreneur only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to the Entrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host
1: Shango Los, and this week we are speaking with David Rines of the Marijuana Business Association. So David, you know a lot of the folks in the different states that have found themselves legalized are starting to move towards unionization. The cannabis workers are coming together uh, for to be able to negotiate with their employers as a group and some folks are really in favor of that, and some folks just don't want anybody negotiating for them like at all but as somebody who's running a national association of cannabis businesses i bet you're seeing a lot of this firsthand what are you seeing in the different states and and how are the businesses responding to it
2: well businesses in marijuana industry and the cannabis industry are a pretty broad lot it's hard to characterize uh, one prototypical grower or processor or dispenser retailer The reality is that we are a diverse group and just as there are folks who are pro-union and folks who are quote-unquote pro-business in traditional industry, you're seeing that same spectrum and diversity within cannabis. I believe most of what you're seeing uh, as we characterize the green rush are entrepreneurial types and so I think the natural predilection and experiences to do everything yourself. So they're being schooled as their businesses grow, as the marketplace uh, gets significant in methodologies and tactics and techniques for managing that organizational growth. So as you add people, as you add organization, as you add systems, the management of that uh, becomes quite challenging. So how to manage the HR function and uh, whether or not uh, workers of weed should ignite or unite um, is certainly a controversial one. And, and you've got, uh, you've got uh, advocates and, uh, and folks who think that's uh, not such a good idea.
1: You know, that's a good point about all the growing pains that our scene is going to go through as it coalesces into one thing. You know, uh, one of the things that I notice a lot is you've got folks that consider themselves medical, people who are growing and producing products specifically for patients. And then what Many call the recreational market, but you said before the break, and I really like that. You just called it commercial, which kind of takes out, takes out some of the stigma of just recreational. So, so we'll call it the commercial market. You know, sometimes these two groups, medical and commercial, they don't play together all that well. What have you seen across the country as far as the integration of the, of the ideals and quality products of medical as it bonds itself with this new and kind of unproven commercial market?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. It's really at the crux of the challenge culturally within the cannabis community. Up to this point, we've been talking about the acclimation or the integration of cannabis community normalizing into our mainstream society. But really within the cannabis community, you have some distinct segments, the medical advocate, consumer or grower or patient has uh, very distinct reasons and passions for being uh, in the industry. Most of them are very personal. They start with their personal medical condition or or someone they love and therefore get into it in a real emotional way. Many of the so-called commercial entrants have more economic opportunities in mind and a cultural sympathy, if you will. What we're finding is that initially there's a lot of skepticism Those folks in medical, particularly uh, because of the lack of information, mainstream media is doing a poor job of covering what's going on, Uh, mainstream business media, even worse. And so there's a lot of misinformation and misinformation breeds mistrust. So many of those patients or uh, medical providers feel like the greed heads have come in and taken over the industry that for years they have fought for no money or at great personal risk and now are being pushed aside and not being appreciated. And many have been taught that what you find in the recreational retail stores is a sub-quality, higher price, lesser-quality uh, product that doesn't meet the needs of patients. So there are some real concerns, and then there are some misnomers. What we're seeing, actually, as the as Colorado is now a year and a half, and as Washington has just passed its one-year anniversary of being operating retail uh, outlets, is that there is a rationalization of the pricing. So the cost is coming down, the wholesale costs are coming in line, and the products are starting to evolve so that even through the commercial, the recreational stores, you're able to get CBD product. You're able to get uh, now topicals and other products that can be used in a medical way. And here in Washington and in Colorado and in Oregon, they're moving towards the notion of greater education so that there will be one channel over the counter, if you will. I believe that medical marijuana will be integrated into the medical system that we have here, our healthcare system in the States. And that means... There will be a change in product. It will have to go through the FDA. There will be, you know, testing and there will be larger players involved, uh, which means that that culture of the collective, the dispensary uh, as being the center place of medical marijuana will, will go away. Well, let's hope that the uh,
1: the evolution of the medical in the commercial market happens swiftly to everyone's benefit, both patients and, you know, commercial folks alike, you know.
2: Yeah, well, and I think it is happening uh, much more rapidly than we we've thought. I mean, two years ago when when we first started the MJBA meetups as we were going around and meeting with all the folks who were entering the industry and those who had been in the industry for some time, there was a great deal of skepticism that we would even be able to get the first stores open, that we would ever be able to get government to allow us to grow you know, thousands of tons of cannabis to package and sell that cannabis widely. And now, a year later, you've seen hundreds of millions of dollars of sales. You've seen, you know, a hundred million plus dollars in new tax revenues uh, coming in, and it's only accelerating. So, what you're seeing is is an industry that's being formed pretty rapidly, and medical marijuana and the public attitudes around. Medical efficacy I have never been stronger. Something like 80 or 90% of the public supports it. And you've seen things around PS, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, being recognized that cannabis uh, is is efficacious. Things like epilepsy, where you've got the Sanjay Gupta's in, in the mainstream media, the Epilepsy Foundation advocating for, for legal cannabis. You've got mainstream politicians appearing at Marijuana conventions who are advocating for medical marijuana. So, medical marijuana has passed the sniff test in terms of the public recognizing that cannabis is a powerful plant that can be used for many, many things, which is the first, first thread in the unraveling of and the rescheduling of, of cannabis.
1: Well, David, thank you for sharing your experience with us uh, from the front lines. I appreciate having you on the show.
2: Thank you, Shenga. I really appreciated it. And if anyone has any information or they'd like more, please check us out at mjba.net or mjheadlinenews.com.
1: David Rines is founder of the Marijuana Business Association. You can find the Gontrepreneur.com podcast on the Cannabis Radio website. You can subscribe to the podcast in the Apple iTunes store, or you can listen and read interview transcripts on our home website at Gontrepreneur.com. Thanks, as always, to Brasco for producing the show. I am your host, Shango Loves.